Welcome to Shore Words, the ASPN podcast of coastal literature, the factual and fictional accounts that transport us toward the shore. I'm Leslie Ewing, the host of Shore Words, and hope to be talking each month with authors about their coastal writings, tales, and stories that have inspired their chosen pathways. Today, it's my great pleasure to talk with James Nestor, author of Deep, Free Diving, Renegade Science, and what the ocean tells us about ourselves. But before we talk with James, I want to take a quick break to allow our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today are brought to you by Geodynamics, an NV5 company specializing in providing accurate surveys of complex coastal environments worldwide. Driven by marine geology, coastal science, and remote sensing, Our researchers use the latest technology to provide meticulous data products to support our clients and answer their toughest questions. Geodynamics carefully designs and executes a variety of hydrographic, geophysical, sub-bottom, and near-shore surveys using our fleet of customized vessels and sensor configuration. You can find us at nv5geospatial.com. Geodynamics, delivering solutions, improving lives. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter for our latest updates from around the American shoreline. Like what you're hearing and want to support the network? Sponsorship packages are now available. Go to coastalnewstoday.com slash advertising to learn more. So James, what's the elevator pitch on your book? What's the quick two-minute, 30-second, whatever you want about how you introduce your book to people? I usually explain it as an exploration of the ocean from the surface to the very bottom of the sea, looking at the human connection in each of those depths. Okay. And so part of that is our connection to the ocean. Um, You have a great quote at the beginning of your book about free diving, where they say, they free dive because it's the most direct Interaction, interactive way to connect with the ocean. During the three minutes beneath the surface, the time it takes to dive a couple hundred feet down, the body goes through, it passes through remarkable resemblances from its terrestrial form and function to many changes. It changes us physically and psychically. So a lot of your book is about that science of going deep and what that does to us. But take some of the listeners through that process a little bit, and especially through those psychic changes that you allude to. Mm. Well, I had never done any free diving. I had never really seen anyone do it either until, God, I guess it was about six, seven years ago. Uh, when I was sent by Outside Magazine to write about a freediving competition off of the coast of Greece. And um, the first day there, I was sitting on the bow of the boat and watching these people dive, you know, uh, 300 feet in a single breath and come back up. And it was just the most incredible thing. And it got me thinking about, you know, if I didn't know about that, that connection to the ocean, that ability that we had. What what else didn't I know about? What else could I explore? I've spent my life um, swimming in the ocean, surfing. I've always been around it, but I 
realized at that moment that I'd been spending so much time at the surface and not really looking beneath the waves, as it were, and um, looking at that connection that we have with with the water and with the animals within it. True. We do that a lot. We love the surface, and we tend to like to breathe, so that keeps us kind of close to the surface. <laughs> yeah, but but breathing's overrated, you know. Well, you can learn how to hold how how you can hold your breath. You know, things really tend to open up, um, and that's that's what free diving was for me. The, the competitive side of it, I really wasn't that interested in. I found it to be extremely. Um, scary and dangerous, but but the other side, the the psychic side, I guess you could call it, um, the mental side, the spiritual side, the therapeutic side. That's what really appealed to me, and that's what I ended up spending many many years um, really exploring. Right, and so you end by talking about what are we, and then you finish with saying, and with every breath that I hold. I still wonder that what which gets to the sort of last part of the title of your book, what the ocean tells us about ourselves. Do you feel like you've changed? Has the ocean told you much about yourself and, and what, what could others learn from that? Oh, I think that, you know, made me realize that we are water animals. We don't think of ourselves as that, but all life came from the ocean, which means we came from the ocean. And I think when we go back to the ocean, we we feel at home, at least people who have adapted themselves to be comfortable in the water. And that doesn't mean you have to go 300 feet deep on a single breath, right? You know, you could just be swimming in the ocean and have a very profound experience. And that that's something I certainly feel every time I'm in the water. And it's something that I think a lot of other surfers and swimmers and scuba divers could identify with as well. Right. I think it's interesting that a lot of your book is focused on those mammals who went back into the ocean to reestablish their lives into the ocean area like whales. For sure. And, and the, the thought is that they were they were terrestrial at one yeah, point. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I guess they they miss the water too much. And who knows? Maybe in you know a hundred million years, uh, humans will move back into the ocean as well. I mean, we, we we just don't know. We're we're so similar to whales and to dolphins and to other cetaceans um, because we're we're mammals and they're mammals and. We have large brains, and they have very large brains. And so that connection um, that we share with these animals, I mean, I'm not trying to sound too new agey here. It's its biological, you know, it's physiological. Um, and that was something that really interested me, um, how similar we are to these animals culturally, um, in our communication, and in other aspects. Right. So the middle part of your book is called Renegade Science. And I'm not sure what that really means because I was reading through much of it and it seemed pretty much like grounded science to me. And I was surprised that you you termed it that. There's a an Adrian Rich quote that says, All new learning looks at first at first like chaos. So maybe chaos and renegade science seem together the same thing, that new science may seem like renegade science, but where do you think that grounded science stops and the renegade ideas get started? Mm, great, great question and great quote as well. 
I think that if you look at the vast majority of big scientific discoveries, they all came from from outsiders, from people who were not uh, firmly in the institution, who were usually uh, DIY people who were just trying to uh, find their way out of out of complete curiosity. And I think so much of that is going on right now. We we think that anything that wasn't researched or didn't begin in a university or institution is uh, should be met with skepticism. But if you look at the history of science, that's where all the big discoveries came from. So, you know, I, I mentioned renegade science and a lot of people, um, not a lot, but a few people criticized the book saying that some of the science I had in there was, was flaky, it was unsubstantiated. But I, I, I take a really different view of that. And I was really careful to mention what was theory and what was fact. And it so happened to be that, you know, the book came out four, four years ago, four and a half years ago. And since then, so many of these things that I had been criticized um, for, for deeming as fact when they were really theory have turned out to be fact. Uh, one of which is human magnetoreception, which is the ability of humans to use the Earth's magnetic field as a navigation uh, to find their way around the world. Um, that's that's basically been proven right now at Caltech. And uh, sperm whale and dolphin communication, too, is this is the latest craze in marine science right now, and it couldn't come soon enough. So it's just neat to see. I, I, I guess I'm, as a journalist, you're, you're accustomed to, to hearing all these cranks, but it is sort of sweet to, to see when these things actually uh, that you had hoped would happen actually end up happening and becoming more established. So I guess that's what I meant by renegade science. It was, these are people on the edge of the institutions who are uh, a lot of DIY people who are just working on the stuff out of passion um, rather than, than a job. So one of the most favorite parts of the book that I read was you're going down in that handmade submersible submarine. Was he as great a character as he described him in the book? Oh, How was it to be in a submarine with him for hours on end? Yeah, he was even better. And that, that's a great example. Here's a guy who, um, you know, went to school in the East Coast from New Jersey. Um, his name is Carl Stanley. He got a history in American. Uh, he got a degree in American history. And he ends up uh, making a submarine by hand, just himself. And he spent more time below a thousand feet in in the submarine than, than anyone else exploring. And he's seen things that no other scientists have have really seen in this little patch of the ocean in, in, in Roatan. He sees new species every time he goes down there, he told me. So he was just a great, great example. And, you know, I, I think I heard a quote, I'm sure I'm going to get this wrong, that, you know, there's something about the ocean that, that always attracts these, these misfits. Um, and that's been true, certainly in the sailing days in the 1400s, 1500s, but I think it's still true today. And Carl Stanley, I, I, I wouldn't call him a misfit, but he's a very eccentric guy. And, um, and uh, you know, I was, I was so privileged to be able to, to ride in his sub and, um, and have that experience with him. Uh, he's still operating it, never had a problem off the coast of Roatan. And for people like me who were private citizens, that's the only way you can get that deep for so long is to go with someone like that. You're just not allowed on any other um, uh, uh, submarines to do that kind of thing. That's true. And yet, I mean, you got to go on the Schmidt research vessel, which is kind of the um, opposite extreme of, of the um, 
<laughs> his submarine. It is, uh, and and never once did I touch the water on that vessel. It was it was illegal to touch the water. Uh, they do amazing work, and it's awesome, but it's a very different experience to be on a on a luxury research. Uh, vessel as opposed to being in, in some dude's scrappy homemade submarine, you know, 2000 feet below the ocean. So uh, both of them are great. Um, but there's something about these, these outliers, um, these, uh, these DIY people that, that has really attracted me. People have found their own way on their own dime to do what they want to do. It seems like in part, that's what you're doing with this book. It, it kind of was a book that found its own course. You were lucky enough to come across some really great people to lead you along, but um, how much of this was planned out ahead of time and how much was happy circumstance? Mm, no one really believes this, but um, very, very little was planned out. After the article came out and outside, that's when I got the book contract. And I said, oh my God, what am I going <laughs> to what am I going to do now? I got convinced them to, you know, give me an advance to go write this book, but I had just such a shaky notion of what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. So luckily through some very kind people who sort of took me into their world, I was able to be exposed to, to all these people doing this amazing research. And then to have these experiences myself, you know, um, especially with a book like this, I think if, if you're going to be writing about the experience of being a human in the water, deep in the water, you can't really just report that from a, from a desk in San Francisco, um, like the one I'm sitting at right now. Um, I really think you have to go out in the field and meet these people and have these experiences yourself in order to understand them. And to me, that's the real privilege of being a journalist and doing what I do is to have this great excuse to be curious and to meet people and to have new experiences and to try to bring them to other people who, who maybe don't want to do all that, but want to learn about themselves and, and the world around them. Perfect. So do you want to talk about your next book at all? <laughs> well, so happens to be, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm turning it in on Monday. Um, in the, the first official draft, but um, what it is is, I, and I don't have my elevator pitch down for for this one yet at all, um, even though I just turned it in. Um, it's after ex exploring the ocean and exploring free diving and learning how to hold my breath so long and learning what that opened up um, in the water. I wondered, well, what can this do on dry land? There's different ways of breathing, and there's different functions that they will um, elicit w within you as, as you do them. And, um, and so I got really curious about this. And so over several years, I did kind of what I did with, with Deep, where I just went out and talked to as many people as I could and had as many experiences as I could and found this story behind the story um, that I did not expect uh, was ever there. And it's that the human skull human species has essentially lost the ability to breathe correctly for a number of reasons that I can't get into in this, in this short interview, but essentially we're, we're the worst breathers in the world and um, of, of any mammalian species. And that's why we have so many of these chronic problems. And um, the pugs are worse breathers than we are. Uh, pardon? 
I'm sorry, pugs are worse breathers than <laughs> Well, we are. pugs have gone through the same evolutionary process as humans have. So uh, brachiocephalic, uh, I believe that's how you pronounce it, dogs, pugs, and French Frenchies all have their faces shrunken. So they've lost space in their sinus cavities. So they're constantly sniffling. They constantly have respiratory problems. Uh, humans have gone through that same evolutionary process. So um, 50% of the population is chronic sinusitis. We, we never had these problems 500 years ago. So uh, the book is partly about how that happened and why something like that would happen and how to fix it. Um, and it takes place all over the world, just, just like the, the various um, outlier researchers who are discovering um, some crazy new stuff. Well, I thought you would have gone into whale echolocation and other ocean things. I'm sorry to hear that you're going away from that wonderful topic, but I want to bring you back there. So, well, that, that, that that's what I do in my uh, in my spare time. Um, I'm working on a, uh, a very large, uh, how do I say this, foundation slash organization right now dedicated to cracking the whale uh, language code. Um, I can't talk too much about that right now, but um, but we've got a big group of very smart people and uh, and it's moving forward very quickly. I just felt like after I'd written about that in deep, I didn't want to really go back and write about it again, but it's something I could never forget and something I still want to be a part of. So that's how I'm fitting that need. Great. When you're writing deep, you got to travel a lot of wonderful places. So what's your What's your favorite beach area, coastal area? Uh, I think they're all different. You, you know, I, I I love them all in different ways. I know that sounds like a cop out, but uh, but it's really true. Uh, I love San Francisco for how cold and rough and miserable it is, um, and uh, I love tropical places as well. I, I think um, Sri Lanka for for wildlife, uh, the northern coast, uh, northeastern coast of Sri Lanka, which had been cut off from tourism for, you know, 20, 30 years because of the civil war, uh, has a profusion of, of sperm whales and other animals and, and the, the clearest water that I've ever seen. So I definitely place that up there, but I, I think it depends on what, what you're doing. If you're just hanging out on the shore, you know, you'd say the South Pacific, if you're surfing, that would be another beach. So, uh, all, all the different permutations of, of the ocean, I'm, I get pretty excited about. Thank you. So once people have read your book deep, what book would you suggest they read next of a, a sure type of book that will lead them to a better understanding of the coast, better interest in the coast, um, to sort of broaden their view of, of the coast ocean perspective? What's your favorite water book? Um, there's a book coming... Uh, I just read a book. I just read a galley of a book by Bonnie Sway, T-S-U-I. It's called Why We Swim. And uh, it's coming out in April. And this book blew me away uh, because it really connected me with a feeling of being in the water um, for all, all the things I mentioned before, physical feeling, mental feeling, psychic feeling, all of that stuff. And she captured her love and excitement about the ocean um, really came through. And uh, when I was unable to get out to the water, uh, which I wasn't able to too much this last year and a half while I was finishing this book, um, I went back to passages in, in Bonnie's book. And uh, 
it's wonderful. Um, and and uh, I had never really read a book quite quite like that. Sort of half memoir, half science, um, very experiential. So that would be my recommendation. People have to wait for that one. I think it's going to be a few months before it comes out. We can wait. We've got to read your book first for many of us. So <laughs> thanks for that recommendation. Um, anything else you want to discuss? Anything I haven't asked you about that you were expecting me to raise today? No, I just think that, um, you know, this is something I was just talking to my wife about is we are so hammered by um, all this bad news in, in the news cycle that just keeps going on and on. It's exhausting for me. It's exhausting for everyone else. But something that I love about the water and something that it continually reminds me of is, is first, how small we are and, and first, how, how fascinating of a creature we are that we can hang out on land, but we can also, but we're also completely comfortable in the water. And I think that looking at that larger view of humanity is just, and, and our progress and our evolution, especially right now is, is important context um, within this just noise of, of political news cycles. So I'm not sure if that's a recommendation or, or, or a moral, but, um, or, or just uh, something off the top of my head, but uh, something that, that I was thinking about last night as I was out at ocean beach and the sun was coming down and I just thought, wow, it feels pretty good here. I'm not thinking about anything except breathing and surfing. And it's a nice, nice thing. Those are two great things to think about. Although thinking about breathing all the time might get you a little neurotic. <laughs> but thank you <laughs> oh, so <I> much for <laughs> for sure. Well, I've been doing it for three years, so so I think I'm as neurotic as they come right now. So uh, <laughs> I, I I hear you. But I've been breathing for many more years than that, and I can't say that I think about it a lot. So um, I'll start paying more attention to that too. But thank you so much, James, for talking with us today. It was great to hear from you. I really liked your book. I actually read it twice because we uh, did our interview initially with much technical difficulty the first time. And then in between then and now, I lost all my notes about your book. So I got the pleasure of reading it again and coming up with all different questions than what we talked about before. So you're a little bit taken off guard, but you did quite, you had some great responses. And I hope that this will encourage our listeners to consider getting your book, reading your book. After that, getting Bonnie's book, which will then be available in the spring and continuing to read great books about the coast, about the shore, about the ocean and our experiences with it. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Leslie. Appreciate it. And now go out and surf some more. Goodbye.